Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey there, and welcome to Lynn Cullen Still Alive. And it is, my God, it's July 1. 30 days has September, April. Just for the days. I didn't know it was July already. Uh, which reminds me that we won't be here on Monday because that's the holiday known as July 5th. Okay? So, anybody offers me a day off, I'm taking it. You know, when you work in uh, news, as I did at the beginning of my career, uh, you, you never get holidays off. Almost never until you're a certain level of seniority. So, I mean, I rarely got holidays off. I would look wistfully at all those folks who who did with such regularity. At any rate, a lot's happened in the last 24 hours. Good Lord. Uh, the Cosby thing, which was a stunner, right? Uh, the fact that uh, Donald Trump's main man, uh, Weisselberg, his CFO or COO, I don't know, his his sock puppet is uh, going to be indicted uh, today. Um, that's potentially very big news. Um, the fact that uh, the Democrats have gone ahead and created this uh, January 6th riot uh, select committee, I'm sure if that's the name of it, uh, but that is also important. Um, and where to start? I want to start with the thing that blew me away the most of everything that I've, I've uh, taken in since last we spoke. And uh, that was this, uh, I guess, C-SPAN uh, thing they do every once in a while, maybe every year, uh, where they have historians rank the uh, presidents of the United States. And, um, you know, it's interesting. It, the way it works is they are given um, uh, categories and in within each category, they have to rank each president. I mean, this requires a great deal of historical knowledge about all these presidents. I personally have no knowledge of a whole, I would say a majority of U.S. presidents. How about you? Ask me what Franklin Pierce did. Don't have a clue. James Polk. I don't know. I don't know the guys that, uh, you know, are in the bottom of this. Uh, I don't know most of them. Anyway, so uh, these are the categories. They have to have one through ten on all of these categories, and then all of that is compiled, and that's how they get uh, the the numbers and, and the ranking. The, the most astonishing thing, of course, about this is that um, Donald Trump is not dead last. It's ludicrous. Surely he's he's fourth from the bottom. I mean, surely. Andrew Johnson, James Buchanan, Pennsylvania's only president. Unless now we can count Biden, but I don't know about that. Franklin Pierce, Andrew Johnson and James Buchanan. Are uh, at the bottom and they're beneath Trump. How is that even possible? Now, in some of the categories, Trump is dead last. He's dead last in administrative skills, and he's dead last in moral authority. Those are two of the – yes, I, I can see where that might be the case. Um, and these rankings change. People, presidents fall in favor with historians and fall out of favor with historians. Uh, the the president that has uh, enjoyed um, the most resurgence, as uh, somebody thought of to be 
well, I guess he was better than we thought he was uh, in recent years has been uh, U.S. Grant. He might have been drunk. He might have been, uh, what, uh, corrupt. Uh, but he was a, a thoughtful and corrupt, uh, a thoughtful, corrupt drunk, apparently, and did some good stuff. What do I know? I don't know. But the other categories, and this is where Trump ends up, I think, getting pulled out of the bottom, is one of the categories is public persuasion. And he had to score high on that because look what he's done. He's persuaded almost half of the American populace to uh, say up is down and black is white and anything he says is the truth and don't believe your lying eyes. I mean, so that that requires skill. And the historians obviously gave Donald uh, some uh, some good grades on public persuasion. That my guess is that's what it is. I haven't delved that deeply into it. But I mean, I totally agree with the first three, and that is Abe Lincoln, and no one's catching him. No one catches Lincoln. And George Washington, too. Those are the two, without a doubt. Although Washington fell out of second place just once recently, and FDR got ahead of him. But FDR is number three. I I don't see anybody um, breaking that anytime soon into that triumvirate. But I do have a lot of trouble with a lot of this. So according to these historians, you got the top 10 are Lincoln, Washington, Franklin Roosevelt, and then his cousin Teddy, them Roosevelts. That's pretty that's pretty impressive. The Adams don't get in the top 10, but the Roosevelts, three and four. And then five, interesting, Eisenhower. And I think if you look at Dwight Eisenhower's presidency now, given what now passes as a Republican, Boy, oh boy, do you see how far that once grand old party has fallen. Wow. So Dwight Eisenhower uh, comes in at five, followed by the man who preceded him. Harry Truman. And uh, and there's another guy who, while he was president and immediately after he was president, he didn't get any love from anybody. No one thought he was great. And it's interesting how time, which yields perspective, changes our opinions. And it also might have something to do with the fact that so many of the presidents in the top uh, 10 are presidents we personally lived at the same time as, at least if you're an old fart like me. Um, Because maybe we're more familiar with them and uh, who the hell knows. But okay, so after Truman comes Thomas Jefferson. I'm sure he'd be missed. And then here's the one I want to I, I want to quibble with seriously. After Thomas Jefferson, John F. Kennedy. I don't understand that at all. Why was he a great president? Why did he belong to the I'm serious because he got killed. I, I, I don't understand it. 
his presidency was shy of four years and it was not, I, I don't know. I don't quite get that. And after Kennedy is Reagan and after Reagan is Barack Obama. And so that's the top 10 or 11. Ten. And then coming in on 11 is Lyndon Baines Johnson. And I have to say this, I would so think that Johnson deserves to be higher and certainly higher than the man who preceded him, John F. Kennedy. Lyndon Johnson, I think, would historically be seen as one of the great presidents of this country, if not for a war that he was handed by John F. Kennedy, Vietnam. Right? Look, as I said, my American history has so many holes in it, it's ludicrous, but I just don't quite see this. And Bill Clinton's way down, I didn't wish they numbered these. Um, he's down sort of mid-pack, and I think he'll continue to fall. That's my bet. Okay. Uh, but he beats out the bushes, George H.W., and then the dad beats out the son. Richard Nixon comes in after Chester Arthur. And take a look at this if you want. It's um, it's, it's interesting. And I guess they do this every year or every I don't know, whatever, but Lincoln, wow, he's unreachable. He's, I mean, in terms of points, he's just, he's unreachable. What a magnificent human being. Uh, breaking news, uh, the rescue work has been halted, uh, Paused, I guess they're saying, because there's a great deal of concern that more things could start collapsing. Um, good God in heaven, that is so horrific. Uh, okay, I saw something else come over the wire that I had that I want to check. Is it, it, the Supreme Court did something appalling? It's possible. They uh, they found something. Some Arizona law was okay. Some election. I don't know. You look it up. Okay. So that's that's that. The presidential thing. If you have anything you want to say about it, uh, feel feel free. Oh. So. I, you know, sometimes you read something and it stays with you. Uh, you find yourself uh, throughout the uh, day uh, thinking about it. You know that, that, that it's always a powerful piece of writing that that does that that hangs around your head. And uh, you know, in a moment when you're not doing much of anything, it comes back and you start mulling it again. And I read such an article uh, yesterday, and what was compelling about it to me was, first of all, it was a story of a human being, of a, of a person who was fleshed out in a way that I felt like I, I knew him. And he truly is an honorable, you, you know, some people, you just, this is an honorable man. Oh God, here it is. The Supreme court. Oh, damn. The Supreme court just a second ago, let us know that it has upheld voting restrictions in Arizona, and clearly, according to this account, signaled 
that further challenges to all of these new state laws that we call voter suppression, laws that make it more difficult to vote, aren't going to get too far with this court. This was a 6-3 decision, and that's total. That's the Republicans versus the Democrats. And uh, this is a a totally politicized court. They are going to uphold all of these draconian laws, which is why institutionally this repulsive Republican Party, its current iteration, this anti-democratic, large D and small D Republican Party, is a clear and present danger to this country. A political party that knows it can't win elections if people are given a full and free franchise. A party that knows it can only win if they close down opportunities to vote, especially by populations that they know ain't going to vote for them. And so they can do these clearly targeted laws to disenfranchise the citizens in their own states. And this effing Supreme Court brought to you by Donald J. Trump and the anti-democratic grand old party will give them the lift they need to maintain power that the people keep saying in the national votes that are held, we don't want them to have. That ain't much of a democracy, guys. Oh, damn. So, I want to tell you about this story I read and this honorable man I was introduced to in it. He's a state senator in Michigan. This is a guy, he must be the hardest working human being in the universe. I don't know. He His name is Ed McBroom, and he's got a 320-acre farm where, I mean, he, he has to do it all. And he's also, as I said, a senator, and he even heads a committee. And... He has 13 children to take care of. 12. 12 children to take care of. What had happened is that his brother and he had taken over the family farm, and the brother and he, who both married sisters, they all moved in together. And the brother had, I think, seven children, and he had five children. And so it was, my gosh, it was 19 people living in this old farmhouse and keeping that thing running. And when he got elected to the legislature, his brother took over most of um, most of that work. But a few years ago, the brother was killed in a car accident. And so this man, 
think of this. This man inherits his brother's children and his brother's widow and somehow has to keep this farm running and somehow has to do his job as a legislator. I should also say that this is the kind of human being who is religious, is extremely active in his church. I think, I'm remembering correctly, he oversees the choir. I mean, how does one, you know, so many of us go through our lives, and I'm including me, and we don't pitch in like that. We don't take responsibility on that level. Anyway, he became the chair of the Republican-led Oversight Committee of the Michigan Legislature. He's a Republican. His politics are conservative. The things he cares about are, you know, family and church and country. He is a solid conservative. In other words, he is an endangered species. And after the election, you know which election I'm talking about, and all hell breaking loose in Michigan and the and the hammer coming down from Trump and all, everybody else to prove that that Michigan vote was cooked. And he didn't know. So he went about in the most careful way. This guy who had all this other stuff uh, that was on his plate, he went from county to county in every, he looked at all of the indications and the things that his other Republican colleagues were pointing at hysterically. You got to look over there. Did you see what happened over there? The election got stolen right over there. And so he would go and he would, he would look through it with his staff. And, and he's quoted in the article telling this reporter that, you know, at the beginning, I, I had a lot of these questions. You know, you watch the news or you look on Facebook and you wonder, hmm, what was going on? How did those votes get shifted? Where did those ballots come from in the middle of the night? These are legitimate questions. You couldn't just toss them and so he convened and headed this investigation. He said, and all I was interested in was a fair and honest investigation yielding a fair and honest result. Democrats assumed the fix was in. I mean, after all, this McBroom was a Trump-supporting, anti-abortion zealot from a deep, deep, deep red district. So, case closed, right? But what some people who knew him knew was that this was also an unfailingly earnest, devoutly religious man. 
a good person, an honest person. Well, I bet you know where this is going. She looked at it all, everything. He was so... He looked at the so-called dead voters. He looked at every ballot that had been uh, questioned. He looked at the absentees. And then he issued his report. And his report was, this was a free and fair election. And none of these hysterical accusations are true. Well, you can only imagine what his life has been like since. So every time we encounter one of these honorable men, my heart just breaks because they shouldn't be so unusual to us. You're reminded of what things used to be, that people who felt strongly about different things, whose politics were different. My gosh, his politics and mine are absolutely in opposition, probably. And yet, I... I'm almost brought to tears by this man's resolute honesty. And the poor soul, well, he's going to get, he's gone. He's not going to win another election. And that's okay with him. But what hurts him is that all the people in that rural county and counties that he represents, the ones who've known him and knew his brother, know his family, go to church with him, know him to be a good man. As he puts it, he said, they believe some anonymous person they read on the internet more than they believe me. Someone they know. Someone they know well. And that's the thing that is just killing him. Of course, Donald Trump has called him out by name, called him a traitor. And when he was asked, what does he feel about that? The writer says he shook his head. He was at his dining room table, which stretches down this long this long diet, it seats 15 people. And there he sits at the head of that table. He looks young. He He's a handsome man from the picture that accompanies this. Big, strong man, as one would expect in a farmer. And what he was asked how it was to be called out by the president of the United States and said to be essentially a traitor. He shook his head. And then he looked up at the ceiling, trying to, who knows what went through his head. But the writer said, 
for a good 30 seconds. He said nothing. And all he could come up with when he did speak again was surreal. Totally surreal. Well, I think he found a a word that fits because he has come face to face with the surreality that his party now insists that a Republican in good standing has to acknowledge as reality. Poor guy. My heart goes out to him. But he'll be okay. He's a good man. He's an honorable man. He's right with his God. Roger writes, I agree with you about Kennedy and LBJ. Reagan's rank is ridiculous. Without him, we might not have these anti-science, anti-tax people with so much control. Reagan successfully politicized uh, the government, saying it was bad, and it screws things up. He also was instrumental in knocking down the wall between church and state. He also gave us Roger Ailes, who gave us Fox News and finished everything off. Roger writes, maybe... When we're gone and if the country still exists, Reagan will drop to the bottom half where he belongs. Well, you know, when you think of it, though, I can see where he gets up there because of all those categories. So in some categories, he might come down. But if you look at those categories again, I can see where he would rank very high in the same thing that Trump was high on, I'm sure, and that is public persuasion, right? He'd be a 10. He'd be a 10. And um, I, you know, the fact is, is that, uh, you know, the Cold War sort of, the walls came down and the Cold War ended and we were victorious on his watch, largely. So stuff happened that makes him look like um, he did okay. I'm just saying. I think he was one of those people who was just always a lucky man. <laughs> just a lucky man. Ah. Uh, So, whatever. There you have it. You know, say a prayer for this poor McBroom guy. I mean, I don't think he'd see himself as... But if you want to read the article, it's in The Atlantic. And um, it's it's titled, uh, The Michigan Republican Who Decided to Tell the Truth. God help him. Okie doke. Um, all right. Well, let's let's get uh, the Cosby thing in here. Um, it's maddening. Uh, but I suspect that the last thing that the heavily democratic and progressive Pennsylvania Supreme Court wanted to do was to throw open that jail door and let Bill Cosby out. But the the way they saw the facts presented to them, which as you know, had nothing whatsoever to do with the question, did he rape all those women? 
did he drug him and then rape him? Had nothing to do with that. And I needn't go back over what happened. So it was, uh, yes, you could say a technicality. But it's the kind of thing that can throw out a conviction. And uh, in the Washington Post, Terry Littman, who is a Pittsburgh born and raised uh, attorney and former uh federal prosecutor and the son of a wondrous woman I served on the state board of the ACLU with. He writes a piece explaining that while this was a bitter day for the victims of Bill Cosby, it was not a bitter day for the rule of law that they, they did the right thing, how awful the result might be. I mean, looking at Cosby now, my guess is that woman, uh, women are safe, that he's not going to be drugging and raping anymore. He did spend three years in prison. And was fully intent on serving out his sentence because he would not ever admit he'd done anything wrong. Unrepentant, dishonest. He's got to live with himself. But Littman, in explaining it, says this. Justice David Wecht's opinion, you know, turned on a violation of Cosby's right not to incriminate himself. And while that's being called a technicality, (laughs) it's more than that. It is a bedrock constitutional right. And upholding that right, even in the face of repulsive Criminal conduct is exactly what courts are supposed to do. And then Harry Littman, in parentheses, say, says disclosure. Uh, David Wecht is a family friend whom I've known from Pittsburgh for many years. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I guess that's that. And, you know, the fact that the person who screwed this up was the same person, well, it wasn't all his doing, was the same person who made a fool of himself trying to defend Donald Trump in his second impeachment. He was an embarrassment to the state of Pennsylvania. And here he shows up again. Incredible. So, let me see what else I've got. Wait a minute. Roger has written back. If persuasion, ability to persuade people, pushes somebody up on this thing, then Hitler would be high. Well, he'd be high on persuasion, but not on moral authority. He'd get a zero. So I guess these things even out. I mean, if you look at the categories and then look at, for instance, Abe Lincoln, that might be a president that uh, whose presidency a lot of us know more about. You can see where he could, uh, you know, he scores way high on every single thing, whereas most of them don't. 
believe this Weisselberg, who's going to get indicted today, maybe he has, I don't know, that he would go to jail for Donald Trump. Everything I've ever read about him is he will do anything for Trump. And all that nasty stuff that Trump has always done, stiffing contractors, uh, you know, not living up to agreements, uh, nickel and diming, this is and thating. This is the guy who carried it out. And they're not going to crack them. Even though I guess they're dangling possibly charges against his children as well. I mean, this is this classic way that you get people who you know need to get got, but you don't have the, you can't get them like you want to get them. And this is how, like, they got finally Al Capone, right? So you get them through taxes. And the failure to report income in the form of freebies, in the form of cars and apartments and and tuition and stuff like that. And you know that um, it's just astonishing how people can throw themselves under a bus for somebody who wouldn't do the same for them in a million years. Well, I, I don't think he'd even do the same for his own children. I mean, Trump. Really something. I'm sorry, I'm sighing in your ear a lot, aren't I? Oh, uh, update, update. Um, I told you, I think this was on Monday, about the fact that the the source code to the beginnings of what we know as the World Wide Web, that www dot, that it was going to be auctioned off as an NFT. Come on, what's it stand for? That is correct. A non-fungible token. <laughs> a non-fungible token. Well, it was. It happened yesterday, and I'm just here to give you the, you know, the rest of the story. It I thought it might go higher. I mean, if you have the the thing that started it all. As a matter of fact, um one of the um uh, a, a rare book and manuscripts dealer uh, who specializes in the history of science said that this invention, the World Wide Web, 1989, ladies and gentlemen, is an innovation as significant as Gutenberg's development of movable type in the 15th century, without a doubt. Without a doubt. And that person said, it's unbelievably important in the history of science and technology. Well, you could argue that it changed everything. It changed everything. So what did it sell for? I think it's five and a half mil. Anonymous buyer, you don't know. Five and a half mil. And that five and a half mil will be paid in cryptocurrency. <laughs> I don't understand anything. I told my son yesterday, I said, you know, I'm aging out. I'm not even going to try to keep up. I can't anymore. And he, you know, is a young man, and, and he said, well, things are going to start changing. 
with such rapidity that nobody's going to be able to keep up. Nobody. And that's sort of the idea here of how we lose, humans lose control. <laughs> it is, right? And I said, man, I said to him, when you said that prescient, brilliant thing when you were just a little kid, you're so right. I've repeated it a million times and I'll say it again. I, if I knew how to embroider I'd, 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 or needlepoint, I'd needlepoint, a, you know, instead of home sweet home, I'd, I'd, I'd do um, what he told me when he was like seven. Mom. You're lucky. At least you won't have to live under robot overlords. Yeah. I've got a call. Let's go to the phone. Hello. Good morning, Hello. Lynn. Hi, Lynn. This is Ella. I called to oh, wish hi. you a happy. Hi, I wish uh, wish you a happy Fourth of July. And I was wondering, do you know who was born? What president was born on the fourth? Uh, I know some who died on the fourth. Uh, was was it Jefferson? Nope. Adam. It was nope. Well, that there's. I think they might be the ones that they died. died. But, they died. But on I the have. So, it was Calvin Coolidge that was born on the fourth. Oh. Okay. And I have. Okay. okay, I was researching. Um, Colonel Custer for something else, and I came across a poem uh, written up for Rosie the Riveter, and I'd like to say to you, it's coming okay. from the. And I, and can uh, I just wait, Ella? Wait, 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 wait. Um, you're very, your volume is very low to me. I've got my thing all the way up. I just want to oh. say, if there's any way of making you a little louder, I would appreciate it. Anyway, go ahead. Are you going to read this poem? Yes, I am. It's coming from, can you hear me now? No, Hello? go ahead. I can hear you enough. I mean, I'm hearing you, but I'm I'm working on it a little bit. But go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, here it goes. All the day long, whether rain or shine, she's a part of the assembly line. She's making history, walking for victory. Rosie the Riveter, keep a sharp lookout for sabotage. I got to turn the page. There's something, there's something true about red, white, and blue about Rosie yeah. the Riveter. It's coming from Eisenhower Foundation. Okay. All okay. Right. Yeah, Rosie. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Thank so long. you, Ella. Bye, bye, and happy Fourth to you too. Um. Yeah, Rosie the Riveter. All those women who stepped in and showed that they could do men's work. And then when the men came back, <laughs> back in the kitchen with you. You're good for nothing but kitchen, bedroom. Um, yeah, Rosie. So Rumsfeld died. Why don't I feel anything? Nothing. You know, um, I'm thinking of another Secretary of Defense who oversaw a horrible war. I'm thinking of Robert McNamara, who I believe Kennedy brought in, right? And then Johnson kept. Do I have that right? Robert S. McNamara. I sat next to him once on a plane, a shuttle flight from New York City to Boston. Imagine my astonishment when I sat down and turned and it was Robert McNamara. And he actually... He was, you know, how when you meet these people you hate or you want to hate or you think you hate, and then they turn out to be people and, you know, 
actually talked to him for a little bit. And he noticed that I had my knees up against the seat in front of me so that my feet were not touching the floor. And at the time, this would have been 19... This would be about 1970. At the time... I was in a period where I just didn't like flying. And one of the things I, and I told, he said, I said, I, I don't like my feet on the floor. I told him because it's false. It gives me a false sense of security. Has any floor? It's a bunch of, there's like miles of air. I don't remember what he said. I think he smiled. I don't know. But one thing that McNamara did, and if you've never seen it, you got to, is he sat later in his life and poured his guts out. He came, he was able to look back and engage in self-scrutiny and I'm blanking on the name of the documentary, the guy who did this sat down with him and talked to him, but it was a powerful, um, apology in a way. And I thought spoke well of him as a human being. But Donald Rumsfeld, he just doubled down. And the war he got us into is even more absurd than Vietnam. I don't know. Both absurd. Wow. Okay, well, that's... Yeah, all I have to say on that. A few things I just want to get in before my time runs up. Oh, by the way, speaking of my time running up, you know, I had a doctor's appointment earlier in the week, and um, it was my wellness visit. And I passed. You know what? You know what they do when you get old like me? They do that, you know, mind stuff with you. It wasn't the questions that I was used to getting asked when you're younger. You know, instead it was, uh, I can't remember. <laughs> but when it comes to remembering, I'm, you know, not good. And so I panic. Oh, it was like, you know, count backwards from 20 uh, and do the months backwards. And, uh, you know, I did those pretty well. No problems there. And then uh, I was told an address. I'm going to give you an address. Just remember it. That's all. So, I, you know, I'm on to the tricks. I mean, So I know that address is going to be asked for it later. And, oh, boy, I pulled out every little bit of gray matter I have still going for me because I was not going to forget that address. And I swear, with every other question that came at me, I was in the back of my head saying the address over and over and over, even as I answered the other question. So then when she said, and do you remember that address I gave you? <laughs> Did I remember the address? Anyway. After all is said and done, and I talked to the doctor for a while, he said the most amazing thing to me. He said, I think you're in better shape than you've been in years and years. He said, you are aging well. <laughs> Not sure what that means, but I think it's good. I'm aging well. Just wanted you to know that because I know it seems like I'm seeing a lot of doctors. I'm having surgeries. I'm this and that, but I'm 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 mostly okay here. And then they have all these algorithms now, so he can take my blood pressure, my meds, my this, my that, feed it into the thing, and based on that, what is it, Farmingham or Framingham study that they did with all those? Wasn't a bunch of nuns? 
where they get a sense of, you know, what people die of, when they die, what happens, blah, blah, blah. I'm, you know, the, you could bet on me for the next 10 years, which is what I, you know, I'm sort of figuring myself. I'm just saying. And I need to say this. The shamelessness of the American fascist party, American white nationalist party, the GQP, call them what you want. That is no party that belongs in a democracy because it doesn't believe in it. And the their willingness to show themselves so boldly, baldly, both work, to stand in the way of an investigation into one of the most horrific days in American history when American citizens attacked the Capitol in an effort to block the certification of the election of the president. And they won't go along with an inquiry into let's find out exactly what happened here so that it doesn't happen again. Who's responsible? Now we know what the FBI has already arrested over 500, charged over 500 people. Yesterday alone, I think they charged another 12. Can you imagine the gall it would take for a Republican who screamed and ranted and raved about the need to get to the bottom of what happened at Benghazi but won't vote? to find out what happened on a day in the United States of America where they cowered behind locked doors and under desks thinking they might be killed. And they have the gall to say nothing to see here. And of course, the reason is, is that any investigation is going to show that they aided and abetted the insurrectionists. The big lie. They even aided and abetted the insurrectionists after the insurrectionists had stormed the building. So of course, you get in the way of essentially a criminal investigation that's going to show that you are one of the criminals. And where were so many of these Republicans yesterday when the vote was being taken? Well, you probably know that too. They had, of course, flown down at taxpayer expense, no doubt, to Texas to listen to their lord and master squawk and scream again about how he'd won that election. And anybody who thinks that our democracy is not still very much in peril. Ooh, did I put a negative in there? Anyone who doesn't think that we're still in peril is man whistling past the old graveyard. Frightening. Indeed. Okay, I guess that's it. I done did my thing. 
And uh, I thank you. I actually have to go work out because, you know, I'm aging well and have to keep things moving. I hate working out. I hate it. You guys have a good fourth and fifth because I ain't going to be here. That's right. I'll see you on the sixth. Okay. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Let's come live Monday through Thursday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.